what's up and welcome back to nostalgia pod giving you another week of what's going on pop culture my name is pat sheen joined as always by my trusty co-host dave martin swagger and dave we're starting this show at, at two very different emotional levels this week i'm pretty low feeling really down you're riding high because tom brady <laughs> the greatest athlete the greatest quarterback the greatest man of all time just decided to hang it up 22 seasons how, how are you feeling about it 20 seasons. honestly like. honestly as a fan of like history and statistics and stuff i did kind of want to see him keep playing until he physically broke because um you know he just threw for 5,000 yards at age 44 like Insane. fucking rack it up my guy yeah <laughs> I, I don't dislike him nearly as much now that he's no longer doing it on behalf of the Patriots. So I didn't yeah. mind uh, what was happening recently, but he probably saw the writing on the wall cap, all his weapons gone, you know? So it would have been, been kind of cool if he went to like San Fran though. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have very mixed feelings. Obviously the, the goodbye message, not including New, anything New England was a little bit like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I think that was way blown out of proportion, honestly. But there's a piece of me that just it's it's like bittersweet. Uh, Tom Brady uh, talking with uh, some of my friends who are also New England sports fans. And you're just like, yeah, he was part of our life for pretty much our whole childhood into adulthood. Um, It's kind of crazy. So uh, thanks to the goat. I'm sure he'll be doing a bunch of weird social media stuff. And when I'm moving forward, just looking forward to. Yeah, man, a lot. I haven't watched that. I've heard it's actually pretty intriguing. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll check that out eventually. I'm looking forward to the future um, Last Dance type documentary about Patriots when Belichick retires and they can get all that access, hopefully. So it'll be interesting. And we'll be talking about it on the pod whenever that comes in mm-hmm. 2027. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Dave, we got a lot to get to this week. And so we're going to start by talking about the most anticipated shows of 2022. We wanted to start here because we kind of realized we're now in February mm-hmm. and TV has just kept churning along. You know, we talked about Euphoria premiere, uh, Peacemaker, Station Eleven, right on the verge of being a 21-22 show. No one really knows how to categorize. So a lot <laughs> of good TV has already come out. We're going to be talking about another anticipated TV show that just premiered today. As of this recording on Wednesday, uh, two two twenty two, Derek Jeter Day. But mm. we wanted to kind of jump through these because there's a lot of great TV coming out, and we're only kind of scratching the surface on the ones we'll probably get to. Um, why don't we start? Just like, what are you most number one most anticipated show of twenty twenty two? Yeah, just real quick, as you said, we're only going to scratch the surface here. We're going to cover about fifty shows, more or less. However, last year there were 559 scripted shows per FX research, the most ever made in one year. The previous high mark was 532 in 2019. So there's more and more. You can't watch it all. We try and pick the most significant, the most interesting. And I think this list of 50 will, in all likelihood, have most of those shows that end up on our top 10. Of course, there are always surprises and unexpected shows like Squid Game and The Queen's Gambit, etc. So I'm sure our lists will have stuff we don't even discuss at the end of the year. But of the stuff I'm most anticipated, and there's a lot of stuff I'm really excited about this year. I actually really like this list. Uh, you know, I feel like you have to kind of gravitate towards 
shows that are already, uh, you know, returning shows, shows that we've already seen a season or more of before, or like those big ticket franchise IP stuff. I feel like that's what just gets the most hype and excitement out of people. And it's hard. It's really hard. But I feel like the answer has to be Atlanta finally coming back for season three on FX on March 24th after a several year hiatus. But, um, you know, Atlanta, the best show on TV, the two years it's been on TV before. So uh, the fact that it's coming back uh, very soon is is great. Yeah, uh, Atlanta, number one on the board for sure. Um, Pretty much every time Atlanta is on, it's must watch television. It's one of the few shows you know, similar to something like Succession, where you want to watch it when it happens, because then it just dominates the conversation for the next couple of days around it. So uh, Atlanta is number one on my board as well. However, I think the number two on my board, and I, it, I was kind of going back and forth on this, but I think my number two on the board is the Lord of the Rings Amazon series, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> the Rings of Power, with the, September this is, 2nd. This is the one, dude. They're putting so much money into this show. It's basically make or break for Amazon, it feels like, in terms of their fantasy TV. This is the one everybody's been hyping. It's coming out um, head-to-head with Game of Thrones. Probably not out at the same time, but in the same year, dropping a new Game of Thrones spinoff. So right. this is kind of like like Ali versus Frasier type shit going on. I'm really excited to see how this turns out. Yeah, I mean, they got the subtitle recently announced, The Rings of Power. We still haven't seen anything yet. But, I mean, from what we do know, you know, young Galadriel cast, the second age. There's so much appealing stuff from a storytelling perspective for fans of Tolkien, but it's really going to be be able to be its own thing because it's set so far in the past from when the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings uh, story that everyone knows takes place. So that's really exciting. And I mean, as you said, they spent so much money, $500 million just to have the rights, just to have the privilege to then spend hundreds of millions more dollars to actually make said show. Amazon uh, is put all the eggs in the basket, as you said. Bezos, huge Lord of the Rings fan, and he uh, dropped the bag many times over. So I'm really excited for this and can't wait to see a look. And I mean, they're, they're making more. You know, it's not like the season is truly make or break, but there's just so much riding on it because they really want this to be a huge hit. That They want this to be the biggest Amazon Prime show ever. So yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. And, and I mentioned in there that it, we are going to get a new uh, Game of Thrones spinoff finally. House of Dragon, House of the Dragon, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be premiering uh, sometime this year. I don't think there's a release date quite yet, no. but I would suspect probably sometime like late summer into fall. Right. For that. We got the trailer. Um, I mean, excitement level for that scale of one to ten. Uh, ten, ten for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, Miguel Sapochnik, Thrones veteran at the helm here, but just like the the actual subject matter is, I think a really important one for Game of Thrones. In a sense, it's a little safe for people that really know the story here. You know, the Dance with Dragons. This is, you know, backstory from when Game of Thrones, the, the, the series that everyone knows, took place. However, that story, those that know it, everyone understands that this still will lead itself to everything that was appealing about Game of Thrones proper with the palace intrigue and the politics and the infighting and the backstabbing and everything. And the dragons, there'll be tons of dragons. Like the, everything you want from Thrones, this story will be able to give you. And you got like high tier actors like Matt Smith and uh, Olivia Cook in there. Like, I, I can't wait for this. It's going to be great. Yeah, I, I feel like that's going to 
live up probably not to quite to the throne's heights but probably fairly close i'd imagine okay so what else is is on top of your draft board for most anticipated tv shows yeah those are good uh we got to shout out the final season of better call saul on amc yeah bob odenkirk uh, injured uh on set uh actually health uh health scare i think it was yeah. injury but uh that'll be coming out this year the final the final go around for peter gold and vince gilligan the the end of this breaking bad series uh however as we know the last season of saul i believe that was season five we had really finally brought saul to breaking bad like the the two shows had truly met from a plot perspective and now we're going to see that conclusion tony doll and such a uh, star in the last season still going to be here for the final season so much so many loose ends uh to tie up here you know what happens to kim etc so um you know it'll be really good so can't wait for this it's been a long wait yeah man saul ah I, I, it feels uh feels so crazy because i feel like that la- the last season that we watched and talked about tony doll in some of those episodes just uh, still stick out in my mind so much that it feels like it hasn't been off the air that long i'm just so mm-hmm. excited to have it back um another show that that's coming back i'm excited to see dairy on hbo yeah, season uh, three back for se- yeah third season um bill Hader, you know still doing his thing uh i i'm trying to think like <sighs> what other comedy i mean I, this is really a dramedy i guess at this point not right. as funny of a show as maybe you would categorize a comedy but what other comedies really stand out like that i mean i guess like russian doll which is also coming back this year is kind of in that category Uh, what we do in the shadows would be if we knew that they were coming this season but barry is really one of those like premier comedies right now that it is definitely haters and and crew spend a lot of time refining scripts for this season and future seasons just because they had time during the pandemic this was definitely uh, covid uh, impacted this production but barry season two was was so excellent and had you know built upon barry season one i mean uh dramatically there was a lot of tension at the end of season two as well so it's um you know i'm sure that'll pick up uh you know right where it left off and be pretty pretty propulsive so that's great absolutely so what else do you got uh yeah those are those are a lot of the really good ones uh you know Probably not as uh, famous, but very uh, excited for Industry Season 2, BBC and HBO. Uh, they finished filming that, so that'll be coming sometime this year. Industry Season 1, one of those surprise shows that no one was really uh, expecting, but a uh, you know, really compelling cast of unknowns and just uh, honestly a dynamite concept of the cutthroat nature of young people in you know competitive uh, high finance you know in london uh everything was about was great uh mile harold her character was i think really compelling uh, especially by the end of that season so just just to get more of this just get more of that world uh you know i can't wait to see that mickey down and conrad casey new really uh thoughtful uh creators and, and showrunners and whatnot so really looking forward to this one yeah industry was one of your yeah, top shows of 2020, I believe, and uh, right. well earned. Uh, a fun ride and absolutely just a captivating world to be in. Definitely up there on my list. Um, you know, kind of just looking down the list here. I, I, we were just talking about comedies, and I don't know if this one is totally a comedy, but Marvel's Mrs. Maisel coming back yeah. for another season. And I gotta say, uh, I'm excited to be back with Rachel Brosnahan. Uh, she's awesome in that role. Uh, I love being in that world. Last season, 
had more ups and downs. So this is, you know, kind of feels like a, a teetering season. It could continue down that trend or maybe redeem itself. But I have confidence that they're going to write the ship there. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that as well. Another one, COVID impacted just because those are such you know lavish, uh, intricate productions, period productions. But even if you know, like that's thing, like even if it's not like as you know eye-catching as the way season one was you still have that sherman paladino dialogue and all these great performances of this pretty flushed out ensemble at this point so even even if that show spins its wheels i feel like it's still a pretty high floor so looking forward to it it's coming up really uh, really soon uh later this month yeah another show that is also coming up uh actually i think sometime next week i think next uh friday is inventing anna on netflix about the uh heiress anna Devalny, I believe, from Instagram at fame. Um, I I think that has potential to be pretty intriguing too. a nice early year show, which I mean, with TV, it's a little more spaced out than the movies usually are in terms of quality. But um, I I have high hopes that that will be a a captivating watch. Yeah, well, I think there's two key pieces with that. It seems like the concept, it's concept source material is good, but Julia Garner in the lead Emmy winner. Uh, And also, this is the first Shonda Rhimes Netflix show. First you know, finally the first creation from Netflix Shondaland. Like it's been been a long time coming and hopefully, actually, sorry, that's a, it's a second show. But, uh, first one since Bridgerton. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's the, what, like uh, the biggest show of... Yeah, us. yeah. <laughs> first one I'll be watching. Sorry. I don't <laughs> right. Uh, but it seems like there's a lot riding on this one too. But uh, I've, I, you know, whenever there's any kind of like real world source material for something like this, when you have a high level creator, I feel like there's a like a lot of potential so exciting definitely what so give me another show that you're looking forward to uh yeah so you know we wrote down hacks here it was such a surprise last year at season one they're making season two i'm not sure if we're going to get that this year but should just shout that out because in terms of dramedies like like a berry you know a really high level there uh let's see uh the hub at the boys season yeah. three amazon june 3rd um, you know, the boys in terms of lampooning and taking the piss out of superhero culture in a really engaging way doesn't, you know, lack for uh, action nor violence, but has a lot of memorable characters at this point. Uh, you know, I, I think the boys, uh, how can you not be excited for it? Uh, season two is such a high level. They're making so many spinoffs for this already, but just to get back with uh, this core group again, uh, you know, I, I don't really know where it's going to go, but I just really liked where it ended. So can't, can't wait. I was going to say great choice. It was almost like the reverse, um, like Star Wars choice to make the second season have Highlander be fallible and actually like someone that could be beaten because he seemed so right. invincible to this point. And now it feels like the show's stakes are kind of like back on track, which I, I really appreciate. Um, I'm looking forward to the boys a lot. And let, let's Homelander, just Homelander, not oh, Highlander. Highlander. <laughs> Highlander. I'm sorry. Think about the car. Um, uh, let's just stay in the superhero world because mm. Disney Plus, Marvel. We okay. we talked about this a few weeks ago, but they got at least four shows coming out this year in terms yep. of superheroes. We got uh, Moon Knight, which will be premiering fairly soon, um, March correct. 30th. Yeah. So n- next month, uh, we have She Hulk. Mrs. Marvel or Miss Marvel, I should say, and Secret yeah. Invasion. And yeah. we talked about that, uh, like which one we were most excited for. I think you said Moon Knight. And yeah, is that still true? 
It is, just because I feel like Moon Knight has the best potential to be something a little outside the traditional Marvel mold. Whether they actually go there, go all the way, remains to be seen. I think a lot of the feedback on that first trailer was that you might be getting a lot of non-traditional stuff, except when Moon Knight's actually being Moon Knight, which is also Mm -hmm. part of that trailer. So remains to be seen. But Oscar Isaac in a lead role, uh, obviously you have to watch that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm excited for that, although I didn't love the trailer. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how that, that comes about. Miss um, Marvel feels like the show that may be most uh, indicative of things to come. Yeah, I think She-Hulk obviously is also going to be a part of the MCU moving forward. Um, but I think Miss Marvel feels like a, a part that they're going to try to build off of, along with like the Kate Bishop of uh, Hawkeye yeah. uh, kind of thing. Um, a secret invasion, I think, is the most intriguing only because of the number of high quality actors attached mm-hmm. to that, as well as I think the the possibilities with the the whether the krill is that their name? Uh, the scrolls. <laughs> scrolls. <laughs> the you're scrolls. thinking of the Cree, the blue guys and guardians. That's what you're thinking of. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know how I get all these things confused. The green guys, the blue guys. I don't know. But uh, yeah, with, with all the possibilities of them being able to. Uh, you know basically become other people or look like other people you know you can do a lot with that so i think that will be pretty interesting and why don't we just stay right on disney plus mm. and mandalorian season three uh, i'm not caught up on book of boba fett but i know mando is somewhere involved in this season from what i understand Indeed. um so i'm looking forward to seeing him but mando season three i mean how can you not want to know where they go next now that grogu is united with luke i'm I'm all in let's see where this goes uh definitely definitely um favreau and filoni and everyone just they've been operating at such a high level that they've earned the benefit of the doubt so can't wait season two is excellent uh you were also getting Andor, the catch and Andor rogue one spinoff uh sometime this year as well as obi-wan kenobi of course the ewan mcgregor return to obi-wan so three big star wars shows the most they've done actually technically four because boba fett's on this year too four star wars shows in one year the same year they're doing four uh live action marvel shows disney plus really they don't have a lot but what they do have are are, are the big guns you know uh is mando season three your most anticipated of the three star wars shows to come no kenobi is by far my most anticipated for this year just because the unknown of it you know Hayden Christensen returning to the role of Vader, how that comes to be very uh, uh, thought provoking, whether it's in a dream sequence or notably not in a dream sequence or a flashback. That is what I'm most focused on. But you know what? Andor thugs a little under the radar. Tony Gilroy, though, involved heavily in this show, largely credited as the savior of Rogue One in the first place which Rogue One was a big success at the end of the day. So and maybe the show will get a little darker the way Rogue One was, especially because we kind of know uh, how it's going to end one way or the other. So uh, overall, very, very uh, excited about this. And we might even get Bad Batch season two this year. We might get Marvel's What If season two this year too. Not really sure about those as well, but uh, probably shaping up to be Disney Plus's best uh, year yet, I'd have to say. Absolutely. It's, it's looking very promising. We're kind of uh, finally starting to get some of those uh, like spinoff series that we were looking forward to when it dropped. Um, 
any other big franchise shows that you wanted to shout out yeah uh three in particular so halo's coming the soonest paramount plus march 24th originally developed as a showtime show we really have no idea if this is going to be any good or not but viacom has been developing this for a very long time it's been through multiple showrunners it got announced that they're eyeing probably another new showrunner for season two but it does look the part from that first trailer whether it's successfully adapted obviously it's a tall task given that halo is pretty uh, lore intensive but also it's a video game adaptation we don't have a good track record with these uh, i love halo i played all these campaigns uh, this is notably non-canon so they're not going to be boxed in on what they how they can tell this story i think that was a smart choice uh we'll see about this one but i hope it's good similarly i hope the last of us on hbo uh is good you got pedro pascal and bella ramsey leading that series craig mazin from chernobyl at the helm neil Druckmann, creator of the game heavily involved this show doesn't stop filming though till june 2022 so i'm not positive we actually see this show this year but those are two huge video game peak tv shows coming this year right. so they'll have a lot of eyeballs definitely looking forward to both of those the halo one um um i have a good feeling but i think that one's gonna uh, go over pretty well um there, there's a lot of new tv shows coming out things that aren't attached to a, a past season or a new franchise mm-hmm. and so i want to save that just for one second give a shout out to a few shows that um, are coming back as returning white lotus i don't think we've, we've mentioned yet season yep. two we've talked about the fact that it is coming back uh italy. go look up the cast for this yep you're in italy uh, aubrey plaza leading the cast um totally looking forward to what uh can come out of that stranger things season four, four? yep he's uh and the, the kids are gonna be looking old because <laughs> <laughs> they are not kids anymore and uh, apparently hopper is still alive who knows but uh perry mason is the last one i wanted to shout out and you yeah. know i think i think this one just because i feel like it was a really quality show that just kind of got swept under the rug or mm. forgotten in a lot of ways it, it did get some um some love uh, some nominations at the academy, uh, academy awards at the emmys but otherwise hasn't really been um, talked about a lot from what i've seen so i'm looking yeah. forward to getting back uh matt reese in that role Right. Yeah, I think the, the key thing to watch with Perry Mason season two, which I believe started filming early this year. Maybe we get it this year, maybe we don't. But Perry Mason is now like the actual titular Perry Mason of, of old, where he'll be like, you know, in the courtroom more. So the show might start to evolve a little bit more. The cast seems to be uh, changing as well. So looking forward to it just because everything about the first season was, you know, really high end. So hopefully Absolutely. that does show up this year. Uh, so give me a couple of those uh, new non-franchise shows that you're looking forward to this year. Yeah. So in March on HBO, we get winning time, the uh, oh, yeah. Showtime Lakers series about, you know, magic job, uh, magic Johnson and, you know, uh, Jerry bus played by John C. Riley. Uh, that really looked really good. The tone seemed to be good. Madam McKay was involved in the creation of this show. Uh, I love you right on the corner. That sounds good. Another thing that like you kind of just probably know what it's good, know what it is, and you expect it to be good would be We Own the City. That's the new David Simon limited series. This one set uh, back in his home of Baltimore, where he's of course told many stories before, and of course is starring uh, John Bernthal. Because yeah. why wouldn't it be? Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm totally totally looking forward to that. Um, you know, 
one that is really, really intriguing to me is 1899, a Netflix yeah. show coming out, uh, like a historical sci-fi type thing mm-hmm. where this uh, boat of, of immigrants going to the United States from London uh, meets this other boat and things just kind of seem to go awry from there. And I don't really know too much more about it from there. I don't really want to know too much more from there. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I love that premise, and I think it has some uh, potential. Yeah, 1889 is the new show from the creators of Dark, which was the Netflix uh, German series that was a huge hit, famous for being really out there and, and detailed with its plot. So expect 1899 to follow suit. Also, if you're interested, read up on the creation of this series. Netflix is making a huge imprint in Germany in terms of its facilities, kind of similar to how Disney has made a big Manhattan Beach uh, stagecraft technology film uh, imprint for its Star Wars shows. Netflix is doing kind of similar innovation in Germany for this show. So it'll probably look amazing. Yeah, I think I I think that one's going to be fantastic. Um, You know, another one that is really interesting to me is Pachinko going to be on Apple Plus. Um, A lot of great actors in this um lee min ho uh you yoon young jun um jin ha anna sawai i mean the list goes on here and following it, it's a, based on the bestseller new york times bestseller uh of the same name following a korean uh a korean immigrant family through four mm-hmm. generations um and kind of their story uh how it evolves i think this this is probably going to just be fantastic is my, my guess. So yeah. Uh, premiering on March 25th, Koganada directed a uh, half of this series as well. So yeah, looking forward to it. Don't really know much more, but I don't, I don't need to, I'll be checking it out. If you want to hear our thoughts on Koganada, go listen to the after Yang review we did last week. Uh, SoundCloud or YouTube.com slash nostalgia pod, I should say. Um, Dave, I mean, a couple of HBO shows here that are coming out that seem really interesting. Tokyo Vice, um, yep. following uh, or telling the story of American journalist Jake Adelstein and how he goes to Tokyo to report on the Vice Squad, which my understanding is that's like a, a mafia gang in uh, yeah. Japan. So mm-hmm. um, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, Michael Mann involved in the creation of that thing is it does star Ansel Elgort, though. So TBD on how compelling it ends up being. <laughs> uh, also, shout out to our guy, Ken Watanabe, who's Hell yeah. uh, just going to be great. fantastic. Um, another one that seems really interesting is uh, the White House Plumbers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the cast alone, pretty interesting. Woody Harrelson, Justin Thoreau, Dom Hall Gleason, Lena Headey. I mean, the list goes on here, but... Uh, just read just reading the premise real quick the watergate masterminds and president richard nixon's political mutineers uh accidentally overturned the presidency they were trying to protect i mean who doesn't want to tune into that and and see this cast do this um it is based off a novel called integrity from 2007 2007 but i think this is a rich text to to dig into from what sounds definitely and uh, it's really funny that there's a similar Watergate series, Gaslit, with Sean Penn <laughs> premiering on Stars later this year as well. So they will obviously be compared, but White House Plumbers, being that it's an HBO production, probably is the, the leader right now. But yeah, really exciting just to see something like that dramatized with, you know, like it's a simple premise for a limited series, but, you know, there's a reason people keep doing these kind of shows because they work. 
totally. Um, give me a give me a couple other shows and we'll, we'll wrap it up next. Yeah, so uh, Masters of the Air will be premiering on Apple. That's the latest World War II dramatization from Playtone, the same producers that made Band of Brothers and the Pacific. This one, as the name suggests, is focused on uh, air combat. So if the Band of Brothers and the Pacific is anything to go by, this will probably be really spectacular and has a pretty uh, impressive uh, young cast, Fiona Shea, uh, Austin Butler, uh, and Carrie Fukunawa was uh, involved in the creation of this, this series. So that, that's really exciting. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the offer on Paramount Plus at the end of April about the creation of The Godfather. Miles Teller's, Teller is involved in this one. They're also making a film about this you know like you know robert evans famous producer the film with barry levinson and uh, jake gyllenhaal and oscar isaac i believe that's also on the way so we'll definitely be comparing the series versus that movie in due time but uh, it's a really rich uh subject if you know the story so that'll be cool and lastly uh conversations with friends on hulu that is a sally rooney adaptation from lenny abramson lenny abramson of course adapted sally rooney's book normal people two years ago i love normal people so uh, very excited uh to see one of her other hit books that some fans actually think is better than normal people to see this adapted very exciting yeah definitely very exciting uh you got joe alwain in that so and and jemima kirk so i'm hoping to get a lot of them uh last one i want to shout out and then maybe we'll wrap up unless you had any others you want to give a little shine to um, Apple TV Plus. Uh, I don't. I, I couldn't find out if there's a release date for this, but disclaimer um, coming yes. out later on this year. Kate Blanchett and Kevin Klein, um, based on a novel by Renee Knight, and the premise, from what I can gather, is pretty much uh, one of them is a documentary journalist, and Kate uh, Blanchett is, and she has to, uh, I don't know, it have this uh, interview or this documentary about mm-hmm. Kevin Klein. Is the sense I get. It seems like it's gonna be pretty interesting, but Kate Blanchett on TV, like. Yeah, give it to yep. me. all of it. This is Mrs. America, huge hit. Also, the disclaimer is Alfonso Cuaron doing TV. Oh, yeah. There so, you go. What, whether the, I don't know if that's begun filming yet, so that might not come this year, but that's definitely must watch once it comes out. Um, there's a few other things that are notable that I'm not like super excited about. Obviously, uh, Westworld's coming back once <laughs> again. You can check our thoughts on that on the channel. Uh, Killing, Killing Eve. Eve is coming back for its uh, fourth and final season. Again, not feeling too good about that one. Um, Netflix's live-action Avatar The Last Airbender uh, remake spinoff, new, new, new inspiration is coming. Notably, the show, uh, the creators of Avatar uh, left this project due to creative differences and decided to make their own Avatar studios and do other stuff. So that compared, uh, combined with the new reception of Cowboy Bebop at the end of 2021 doesn't leave me super optimistic. But if it is good, that'll be awesome because I do love Avatar The Last Airbender, but I'm not exactly holding my breath with this one. Well, we named uh, around 40 or more TV shows for this year. So if you can't find one of those to get pumped about, I don't know why you're following the pod, but you should follow us, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod, and let us know the shows that you are most anticipating this year. Dave, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit, though. It feels weird to not not be starting in this area, but we wanted to get that out of the way because we have a lot of other great stuff to talk about, including Kyle, <laughs> who we haven't talked to talked about in two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, last album uh, was it "Call Me When You When I'm Famous" or 
You don't remember Moon of Famous? Yeah, 2020. Yeah. Uh, not uh, If you can tell by the way I'm talking about it, it wasn't an album that I was necessarily blown away by. And um, now we get It's Not So Bad, his newest release. <laughs> and uh, is is the name just like supposed to be trying to convince me? I don't know. It's <laughs> low-hanging fruit to use the name as a joke, I think. But come on, mm. man. What did you think of this? Yeah. Kyle, album three, first project since leaving Atlantic Records, becoming an independent artist again. Of course, he blew up as an independent artist, found a lot of success with I Spy, went to Atlantic. We talked about those two Atlantic albums. Some successful songs, but overall, felt like Kyle was still finding his way in the shadow of Chance the Rapper when it comes to uh, nasally uh, lighter hip-hop. And album three, It's Not So Bad, is, to quote Kyle himself, R&B Kyle. And it's definitely a change of pace from what his most famous songs sound like. However, there was hints of this on the last album, songs like What It Is. You know, he, he had started to croon a little bit. And now on It's Not So Bad, that's all he's doing. Um, I think your mileage probably will vary on this album, depending on where you stand on, on what you like from Kyle, because, uh, to me, I didn't, I just don't actually find his performance in these songs up to snuff with his performance on his best songs in the past. I, I, I feel like he's the least interesting part of this. Some of the production's pretty good, uh, on it's not so bad, but Kyle very rarely, I think, rises above that and makes a big impression. I think he's kind of understated on a lot of this and the energy is kind of low for his standards. So uh, I wasn't a big fan of this, but I, I, at least I commend him for picking a lane with this one. He has also said it to billboard that he's already working on an all rap project again. So at least he's kind of committing to ideas and feeling inspired. That's why he left Atlantic because he wanted to make what he wants to make. So I give him a lot of credit for that. But it's not so bad. Doesn't exactly, uh, you know, wet my whistle. It, it was pretty unmemorable overall to me. Yeah, you you talked about the mileage varying, and um, I feel like it's either like extra low or low mileage because there's really not a lot in here that I found to be super interesting. It's funny because like, you know, I I gave this a couple of plays through, and I was hoping for something yeah, sure. to jump out at me, and. I, I had maybe one song that I thought really stood out and I really liked. And then a couple others I thought were catchy and that like stuck in my head a little bit, but I agree. I don't think his vocal performance on this is that great. And I, I think the production, while it's, it's competent and, and pretty good at, at some points, I actually found it to feel kind of redundant. Um, yeah. And it was kind of like they had like the basic beat that they wanted to go with a lot of time. And we're like, okay, how can we dress this up a little bit differently from the last song? And just kind of left me feeling like it, Kyle is not heading in the direction that I think we had hoped a couple of years back. No, no, I agree. Uh, for me, the song that made me made my ears perk up immediately was perfect towards the beginning of the trap lit, track list. It has a, I think it's a memorable like looping house beat. Yeah. Kyle's uh, tempo does match that beat, but like his singing is still not like super great in that song or anything, but that was the one that like, made me at least perk up a little bit i feel like a lot of the other songs just the energy level is just not 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 there for me and i just yeah i just don't think he has the 
R&B chops to attempt R&B Kyle, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. Perfect was uh, certainly one of the songs in the first half that stood out to me. And the other one that stood out was Sleepyhead. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Sleepyhead, while it's a bit more of a toned down song, you get more like rapidly rap Kyle on this, which I appreciate. And he's kind of switching up his vocals a little bit on it. So it at least sounded different than a lot of the other stuff you get here. Um, yeah, I think that whole like second half, though, pretty much after like Love's theme song to to Sleepyhead is like very just like blends together for me as I played this and nothing really stood out. I think the the beginning um, personal, perfect, uh, unreplaceable might be the best stretch of the album, but mm-hmm. it's really not great. You get Craig David coming on, which I feel like he's almost doing like a Craig David impression on a few of these tracks. So um, it's interesting to have him as a feature and kind of be right. so derivative of his sound but i don't know not not what i was hoping for from kyle for sure no no look looking forward to the hip-hop project though because he can make a catchy uh song w- w- when he puts it out but yeah overall it seems like kyle's still kind of throwing darts but at least uh he he's doing what he wants now so that's something i guess well we're, we'll we might we might i'm gonna put a asterisk on this Add one of his tracks to our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. Find that on Spotify. But for now, let's move forward to a one of the shows that we did not mention, but definitely a show I was looking forward to watching, the miniseries Pam and Tommy on Hulu. Uh, first episode dropping today. First three. First three dropping today. Yep. Dave, wanted to ask you real quick, do you remember... Or do you have any relection from your childhood of the relationship between Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee Jones? Absolutely not. <laughs> this, I, uh, this show kicks off in 1995 when I was uh, July 1995. So I had not yet turned three years old. So uh, no, no, I, I did not know uh, who Pamela Anderson was until uh, the second stage of her public persona had happened as the show will get into. And Tommy Lee, you know, I mean, obviously, like Molly Cruz also before my time, so I didn't learn about right. him till after the fact as well. Yeah, I, I feel like I was aware of a lot of the scandalous aspects of their relationship and just um, like the you know pu- public fallout from the sex tape of their relationship. But I, I don't really know much about them other than you know Pamela Anderson being on uh, Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, obviously a very famous drummer. Tommy Lee Jones, um, that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, imagine. Yo, yes, my, my bad. Tommy Lee, uh, very famous drummer. So that was kind of like all I all I knew of them. So I was very interested to see how this series went. How did you feel like the first episode played out for you? Yeah, I'd say this is definitely a lot more compelling than uh, The Dirt, the, the Motley Crue Netflix movie with Machine Gun Puck Kelly playing Tommy Lee. Uh Pam and uh, Pam and Tommy, I, I like the, the the premiere a lot, and I think this definitely kind of scratches the itch that we want from a lot of these types of miniseries, where you're where you're visiting a flashpoint in culture with uh, high quality actors and trying to recontextualize or recolor in what public opinion seemed to be at the time, usually with a you know more modern uh, perspective. I've seen a lot of people saying this. This is what Ryan Murphy has been attempting to do recently with, you know, American Crime Story impeachment and even like Halston stuff. This is this is what Ryan Murphy is trying to do in terms of picking flashpoints in culture, in in society, 
and trying to dramatize them. I think Pam and Tommy is is doing it successfully, um, and interestingly, like there's humor here, there is public comment, there's compelling performance. I feel like it kind of has everything you want from this type of miniseries, and I think it starts off well. So we'll see if it, you know, sticks landing by the end. But I think that it's a strong start. Yeah, and I'm I'm just super intrigued to see the performances from Lily James and Sebastian Stan in this, as well as Seth Rogen, of course. But um, it feels just like uh, Sebastian Stan obviously is is kind of in that like mid tier of actors. You know, he's obviously got the Winter Soldier stuff going on, but he's had a couple of, of high profile supporting roles. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking back to like I Tanya, which yeah. I think this is kind of in like a similar vein, but obviously a bit more high profile for him. And Lily James, I feel like she kind of needs a good look like this. Like that this could thoughts. potentially be a big, uh, a big breakout for her. So I'm looking forward and hoping she crushes this, honestly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we. I feel like I've been down on Lily James for a while. Just the roles just kind of haven't been there. Like I feel like a textbook is last uh, early 2021, The Dig, the Netflix Carrie Mulligan film. Lily James' whole character felt super contrived and completely unnecessary to the film. And she's someone who's been famous and been ge- ge- taking lots of chances and been given lots of chances, but the roles haven't been there in a while. But I think this choice to play Pamela Anderson in a series that is going to humanize and recontextualize the Pamela Anderson perspective when all this shit goes down publicly uh, is a really good choice. You know, the, the, the makeup and prosthetics department do a really good job of making Billy James look like Pamela Anderson. Billy James in real life does not look like Pamela Anderson but very compelling uh work done for this series so I think it's good and yeah uh, for Stan I Tanya showed that he, you know he has a bit of like black comedy shots but that was a supporting role here he's going to be a co-lead and he just really hasn't had a lot of chances because he's been kind of tied up with Marvel for so long so uh you get a lot of Tommy Lee in episode one you don't get a lot of Lily James I think Tommy Lee I think Stan is compelling as being a, you know, a shitty dick who also has a big dick. Like he's doing everything he needs to do so far, but it seems like James is going to probably have the meteor uh, work in forthcoming episodes. I think the series though starts off pretty interestingly where again, you don't get a lot of Anderson, but what you do get is a lot of Rogan. Rogan is ran a Gothier who is a carpenter working at Tommy Lee's home and gets wronged by Tommy Lee and is motivated for revenge. And he is the one who ends up uh, basically stealing the, the sex tape inadvertently. And then eventually he's going to uh, mass produce it publicly with the help of Nick Offerman, who plays like a, a porn director character. So all the parts are there. You know, episode two is kind of a flashback to the Tommy uh, Pamela uh, courtship. So I, feel, I think this kind of has everything you want from this kind of miniseries. So hopefully it sticks landing. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the series goes. Uh, we'll be talking about it as it wraps up. Uh, Dave, any last thoughts? You ready to move on? Let's go ahead. Let's move on to Munich, Edge of War. Yeah. Um, man, <laughs> this is a, a movie I, I wasn't wasn't totally on my radar, but so glad we watched. I think there's some. I think there's a lot to dig into here. A lot of uh, interesting pieces to this, but why don't we just start here? George McKay is he only mm. going to do period pieces? Is this <laughs> the plan? <laughs> got the look. He does, and he's got the fame so far. Obviously, nineteen seventeen breakout 
uh, right before the pandemic kicked off, end of 2019 there. He's been in a few things since then, but it does feel like his most notable work thus far is in period work. So yeah. TBD there, but uh, hey, he's, he's pretty good at it, so I, I can't blame him just yet. He jumped from uh, 1917 to, what's this, 1937? 1932, something like that. Munich Edge of War progresses through a big chunk of the 30s, as the uh, story would suggest. So, yeah, uh, he, he has his niche. And obviously, and obviously, this uh, this is a World War II-esque movie. It's you know, prior to the war, basically Hitler's rise and uh, beginning to threaten the stability of the European uh, countryside and the mm-hmm. continent. Um, yep. And focuses in on a couple of different aspects of the Munich comp- is it the Munich Compromise, Munich Agreement. Um, I think it came to be known as the uh, Munich like uh, betrayal or something like yes, that. Yes, to the, to the uh, uh, Czech English. perspective for sure. Oh, yes, yeah. The, the, yeah, the Munich Agreement is the official name. Um, and so, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what aspect of the movie did you find yourself most intrigued by? Was it McKay and um, oh man, what's his name? Giannis Niewoner. Niewoner. Giannis. Lagat and Hartman was it uh, the Jeremy Irons as Neville Chamberlain versus Adolf Hitler aspect of it all? What, what mm-hmm. were you most intrigued by? Yeah, so this is this is adapted uh, from a, a book called Munich, and the McKay and uh, uh, Niewoner uh, characters are are fictional, but obviously there's a lot of uh, you know real life people, as you said, Neville Chamberlain and Adolf Hitler topping the list here. And I was definitely most compelled with those fictional characters. I think they do the most interesting stuff uh, with the story. And specifically, I thought uh, Von Hartman, uh, Niewanner's character, I thought Von Hartman was particularly interesting because he's not really like the good German trope, right? He actually is trying to make a difference uh, and stop the Third Reich from happening. And as we all know, uh, failing to do so. that perspective I thought was most interesting. Obviously, it's a fine line when it comes to uh, portraying Nazi party members at this time. And at least the movie doesn't shy away from uh, all the hardship and you know uh, prejudice that the Jewish people were already facing during this time in Germany before the concentration camps actually happened. Um, I like how it handled that. And I think, you know, it gets... A little hokey towards the end. It's like, oh, is he going to shoot Hitler? You know, he's his chance, and I couldn't do it. It's like, to me, that's not super compelling because it just comes across as so fictional and like not real. Um, on the other hand, the von Hartmann character is evidently based off of a real character who ended up being involved in the Valkyrie plot that failed to kill Hitler. And that guy actually obviously gets killed in real life. So uh, I, I think the German perspective was most interesting to me. And I had more of an issue with some of the British perspective stuff with Chamberlain. But, uh, you know, I think the movie is pretty compelling, even if it's a bit straightforward. Yeah, the aspect that I really liked of the um, Hartman and Legat relationship was how you kind of see the flashback to their fallout. Mm. And you see Hartman as this person who initially was uh, very much a supporter of Hitler. and like many Germans. Yeah, and how reminiscent that feels of 
the per the current political climate yes. in fanaticism the as they said yes um just is uh a bit harrowing but uh noticing the like the change over time and using that relationship as a way of like explaining how the uh brutality of the third reich and the hate and just the practices that they use to ex- try to attempt to exterminate all jewish people as well as many other uh identities mm-hmm. it's just uh i think really effectively played out when they go to visit um lena and you yeah. kind of get hartman and legat having the like coming to coming together moment um of their relationship again which was great i think the the tension in this movie is really finely drawn and and really carries through the movie uh convincingly you know the the documents and uh <laughs> just want to give a shout out to uh august deal who just is such a good german uh like nazi german soldier you know you, mm. you probably recognize him as the german soldier from inglorious bastards who shoots um benedict Gem- uh not benedict Gem- uh, uh michael fassbender michael fassbender yes mm-hmm. thank you um so yeah i just saw him and i was like oh immediately evil <laughs> i mean already yeah. wearing the nazi uniform but like immediately he's gonna, he's the bad guy and he's great and he just like this lurking figure and mm-hmm. tension of will they find the document yeah will will they be aware that chamberlain met with hartman all that that means it was i thought a, a nice through line and george mckay has a great face for like uh portraying like anxiety and fear while not saying a lot so i thought he was really convincing in that sense um but yeah there was a lot to like about this movie and then of course you get the historical aspect of chamberlain and hitler meeting and all that tension i thought that was also really cool and you get to see jeremy irons just kind of being himself now which is always great so uh, a lot to enjoy about this movie i thought yeah so uh, one thing i didn't really like was uh Lagat's family life is just so like shoehorned in here. Like Jessica mm-hmm. Brown Finley, notable performer, just a thankless role as his wife. Like doesn't pass the Bechdel test at all. Just not 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 necessary. You know, I feel like there's enough like humanizing in, in, of these characters with the relationship between Lagat and von Hartmann, and uh, you know, and Lena with those flashbacks and stuff. I feel like it just wasn't needed. Um, it's like yeah, we get it. He has a busy work life as he's trying to stop. Uh, in uh, global conflict like we don't we don't need him to have a thankless wife and, and kid character to convey that um i think though the bigger sin of the film is and this is a, a german british co-production um but the thing the biggest sin to me is the the attempt to recontextualize neville chamberlain's legacy and and, and role in the munich agreement or rather his goals of the agreement um, obviously neville chamberlain a bit of a punchline a maligned figure for uh appeasement of course appeasement to hitler with the sudetenland because obviously it doesn't work but this movie attempts to convince you that actually chamberlain was doing this because he had to play with the cards he was dealt and by buying britain more time he was preparing them for the war which is just a really contested and not really agreed to point of view and I just found it weird. Like, why are we trying to like build up Neville Chamberlain of all people? Just a weird point of view to me. Yeah, I I thought that ending scene, uh, the one that I think you're referring to on the plane, where he's like, "I have to play with the cards I'm dealt," and you know, I he didn't have enough 
uh, evidence, I guess, to just flat out uh, stand up to Hitler. So he needed to do this backhanded, uh, basically nothing agreement on top of this yeah. to show that he's a bad guy who will go against uh, what what he says. And that way the people will be mad that he did this and they'll, they'll rise up against him. And it's like, what is this logic? You know, like I, pretty much everybody here knows Hitler is a maniac. Like, yeah. uh, it, it's I don't know I thought that was a really weird point and yeah Devil Chamberlain not a figure I, I really was like ah needs a needs someone to cape for him here I don't know. right <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just weird like like this is not like a popular like point of view certainly not in the U.S. but like in British Br- British history as well like it, it's just a weird weird thing like I don't also think it was necessary like if anything the movie would be more dramatic if you do a better job of showing that like Chamberlain just completely failed and was just out of touch with how to deal with Hitler, because that was actually the reality. I don't know why they had to kind of change the conclusion there. It's just weird to me. Um, shout out to uh, Ulrich uh, Mattis, who plays Hitler. He actually played Goebbels in Downfall, which is probably yeah. the most famous movie uh, about Hitler. So a bit of a, uh, Nazi, uh, film synergy there, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know if you like totally looked like Hitler the way I think of, uh, you know, you think of, but still kind of an interesting performance where like, yeah, you don't get like the the downfall. I mean, like he doesn't like lose his shit. It's all it's more about like the the fear he's imposing around people without actually needing to act out. Yeah, I, and I think that's pretty much every scene between Hartman and him is just incredibly tense, and you get the sense that he's like really feeling Hartman now and trying to intimidate him. Um, and I really thought the way that they, uh, that, that last interaction where Hartman's considering shooting him, but more so what Hitler is talking about in that. And like, in terms of like how the public doesn't know what they want and their children, and this is what they actually want, that type of thing. I thought that kind of was a very forward, but also like a, a, a not super heavy handed way of kind of getting across Hitler's like ideals and the way that it's uh, at least been said that he viewed uh, the German people and yeah. his role in leading them. So I thought, I thought that was all pretty, pretty good. And I agree. He does not look like Hitler, but definitely an interesting performance. Um, you know, a- another aspect of this that I thought was just like interesting was a lot- there was a lot of shots of people on either sides of a table talking to each other. And there's, I, I just really liked the symmetry of that, whether it was, people at the dinner table talk to each other at the bar, you know, as they're having like a secret conversation or at the negotiating table, there's a lot of that sort of thing. And I thought that was a, just a wonderful framing device throughout the film. And yeah, um, shout out to Christian. Ooh, Schwar- Chow, I believe his name is Shrow Chow. Um, I don't, I don't, I've famously bad at pronunciation, so don't take my word for it. Um, Shrow Chow would be my guess. Shrow Chow. But uh, let's see here. I thought he did a great job directing mm-hmm. that. And, um, he's a famous German film director, so I apologize. Uh, Schwauchow, I think it is. Schwauchow. Yeah. Um, and I, I just thought he did a great job of making this look amazing on top of uh, leading a pretty competent film. So, yeah. Definitely enjoyed this. Any last thoughts? Are you ready to talk about uh, some international film? Yeah, well, this is technically an international film as well. But yeah, sure. let's go to uh, something that's uh, even more international, the Danish animated documentary Flea. All right, let's stay international here. Dave, moving to Denmark, where you were able to check out 
another seems like really solid film coming out of Denmark, Flea. Tell me about that. Yeah, Flea, a bit uncanny, animated, documentary, and an international film as well. As you said, from Denmark, executive produced by Riz Ahmed and fellow Danish actor Nikolai Kosterwaldo. Flea uh, kind of came out of nowhere and has been a big awards player, seemingly primed to be nominated both for animated feature and international feature film at the Oscars uh, later this year. And I think on one hand, it's compelling just because the animation, I think, is really well done. It's like that, you know, kind of classic rotoscope animation. And because this documentary is told as storytelling, our lead character is telling his story for the first time. It feels like memory. It feels like flashback, flashing back and coloring in just enough. But when there's darker moments, the animation's even more hazy. Like I think the animation is really there, but the documentary aspect is why this movie is being so uh, widely received. Uh, because just it's really kind of harrowing, tension-filled, yet compelling story about a, a gay Afghan refugee who leaves, flees Afghanistan uh, in the 90s as the uh, Mujahideen and Taliban uh, conflict post-Soviets is beginning to explode and tear the country apart. And the way our lead character, Amin, the way he tells his story and again as memory is really well done because he doesn't like let it all out it, like the, the the movie flea does a good job of like telling you that like this is being told for the first time and amin explains why he has not told anyone his true origins as a refugee until now someone who fled from kabul to moscow and eventually made it to copenhagen and became a refugee and his uh, high school friend is our the director of the documentary, uh, Johannes Poher Rasmussen. And Amin's not his actual real name, but Amin is uh, finding a way to tell this story and also along the way telling how he came out to his family. Of course, uh, homosexuality not widely accepted in, the, uh, uh, in, in his culture. So there's, there's so much conflict in various ways of the harrowingness harrowingness of trying to be a refugee and what it means to flee your home and also be be away from your family and lose your family and things like that uh just just really impressive this was a 2021 sundance film that neon acquired and now neon's been really pushing this movie hard i definitely expected to get those award nominations but uh i think it just stands out to me because of how unconventional a lot of it feels and even though it's unconventional it's still telling like a really like important type of story uh, in this case you know one man's life journey to have a better life you know it, it's it's really serious stuff but it, it it's it's done really well done very tastefully so i would definitely recommend flea which has had a really slow uh film release but as a neon film you would expect it to eventually show up on hulu so Definitely pay attention to this uh, and see it when you can. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for that Hulu drop. If I can't make it before then, uh, everything I've heard about it is just fantastic. So cool to see these stories being told um, and being told in, in you know around the world. 
uh, I, I really like that we've uh, had so many good films come out of Denmark recently. It's uh, right. It seems like a hotbed right now for <laughs> good film. Yeah, another round. Riders of Justice now flee. A lot of, a lot of good stuff. And also international film has uh, never been easier to see uh, you know, in the U.S., in the Western world. So that uh, goes a long way as well. So yeah, definitely see Flea when you can. Well, Dave, I got to ask you, do you think Flea has any shot of being included in either Best International Film or Best Animated Feature at the uh, 2022 Academy Awards? I'd say it's almost surely a lock for both categories, but I don't expect it to actually win either category. I mean, that's that's a pretty strong statement. And we are going to be giving our predictions. Why don't we start with Best International Film and work our way up from there since we're already kind of yeah. talking about this. Um, so you think Flea has a really good shot to be nominated in that category over Riders of the Night? Uh, yeah, so Riders of Justice is the Danish film with Mads. The, well, the way, the way this category works is that a country only submits one film and we have that 15 film short list already oh, out there. So yeah. we already know the final 15 for Best International Feature Film. Some notable stuff not here, like uh, Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers was not nominated because Spain actually picked a different film instead, which didn't make it through. Uh, and uh, France's Titan, which was this huge, buzzy, con-release neon yep. film, also wasn't selected. So from what we have, it's so pretty stacked, and I've seen a good amount of these films already. Uh, Flea, and we, we've reviewed a bunch of them. Flea, a Hero from Iran, Asghar Farhadi's film, which you just reviewed. Drive My Car from Japan, Hamaguchi's Review. film. Flea from Denmark, as well as uh, The Worst Person in the World. Yep. Joachim Trier's movie, which has been rapturously received. It's about to get released, uh, a limited release later this week. I feel like that was, those top four are more or less locked in. And then we also have something we've already discussed as well, which would be The Hand of God from Italy and Paolo Sorrentino on Netflix. Uh, Palos Ortino has won this category before. He's not always nominated, but feels like there's a big, big campaign from Netflix for this. So that's probably our five. But there's other stuff uh, in there that I'm, look I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, the German film I'm Your Man with Dan Stevens yes, could very well get in here. So it's a very competitive um, and, and, you know, I think top heavy international feature film category this year. So uh, hard to be displeased with this, this, this crop. Yeah, th those five are, they, they seem like locks, but I would if I had to guess one that could maybe uh, sneak in there, I would say I'm Your Man is the one that I was thinking. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like a very strong category again. And if you aren't watching international films, I highly recommend you get into it because a lot of great uh, movies coming out. Um, can't wait to see Drive My Car. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that, I think, a bit more as maybe uh, we yeah. get through some of these other categories. That, that's the overwhelming favorite. So, yeah, let's uh, change. Let's move forward then to best animated feature. So do you think Flea will also be in this category? nominated? I do. I do. Yes. Wow. Just given how, uh, how how well it's been received and also, you know, animated it. it sometimes it's not the, the deepest category year to year. You know, like you're nominating animated films that people don't necessarily love, even if some kids might love them. So, yeah, I think Flea's definitely in there, though. And it, it, nice to see. It's great when like a non-Disney and non-Pixar film gets some recognition, right? Because there are other people making animated films. And once in a while, those films do really well, like Wolfwalkers last year, for example. 
I do think we're still going to get a lot of the Disney Pixar stuff because yeah, Encanto and Luca are pretty much locks for this. I would say Ryan the Last Dragon has a really good shot to be nominated as well. And then from there, I haven't seen the Mitchells versus the Machines. Have you? I have. It's really good. Yeah, Sony mm-hmm. film on Netflix. Honestly, that'd be my pick in the category. I think it's wow. you know, it's a Lord of Miller production. Uh, they 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 produced it. Really well done, really smart, great for kids, but also good for adults. Uh, that that would be my choice to win. I don't think don't necessarily know if that's going to happen, but I feel pretty good about that. That that movie has quite the groundswell. You know, came out a while ago, but I, I think I think it has a good chance. But like you said, Raya and Kento and Luca, there's a, still a Disney stronghold stronghold in the category this year. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that you know you t- you just talked about Bell, which uh, you mm-hmm. gave a really strong review to. Yeah. Probably on the outside of this category. Um, and also yeah. Sing 2, which I've heard really good things about. Yeah. Um, also on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sada's uh, last film, Mirai, did get nominated, being the first non Ghibli anime film to crack this category. So there is some precedence if Bell was a sneak in, but I think it would definitely be a surprise just given that there's a lot of Disney this year. And yeah, yeah. Sing 2, definitely a big success. That's for sure. Um, so. Uh, I just kind of want to move through a couple of these smaller categories, just highlight a couple of things. Um, yeah, I have a I have a sense, and I don't know if this will turn out to be true, but all the odds makers seem to point to this that I think Dune is going to clean up at the uh, at least we get a lot of nominations down ballot, and also yeah. favored to win a lot of the down ballot things like best visual effects, best sound, uh, yep. stuff like that. So I, I that might end up being a good sign for Dune. We'll talk about that a little later on. Um, any other movies that you think will get a lot of nominations in those sort of categories? Technical categories now. Dune's definitely like a, the Mad Max Fury Road yeah. of this award cycle. Pretty easy to see that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else that's probably going to rise up. It's always cool when you see like recognition. Like it seems like maybe Cruella might get like makeup and hairstyling or something. It's always cool when like movies that aren't really in the awards picture otherwise crack uh, crack through but yeah dune is uh, gonna clean up it seems like yeah it, it seems that way uh i, I just uh, scrolling through gold derby yesterday i noticed that uh, godzilla versus kong uh is a one of the favorites to be nominated in one of those categories so right uh, yeah you have the short list that. yeah the short lists are out for a lot of the technical categories already so you can see like the the top contenders yeah. but uh, the, the um, nominations get announced uh, on february 8th so you'll know actually what get nominated in due time what about best cinematography do you have any feel for that category tough one you know there's a lot of like black and white films like, like belfast i feel like people were like handing this award to months ago Macbeth. yeah tragedy Macbeth as well and even stuff that's probably not in the mix too much like passing there's been a lot of black and white this year um not really sure how it's gonna go you know the power of the dog just has a monster night and wins best picture i could see that you know yep I could see Dune, yeah. um, but I, I don't know if there's really a favorite yet. Yeah, the the hard part to me in looking through these categories is our favorite movie of last year, The Green Knight, probably on the outside looking in a lot of these categories. But man, if there was did one, make, I would love. Yeah, go ahead. So, sorry, Green Knight did not make best visual effects shortlist, which is yeah, tough, uh, com- uh, appalling to me. Yeah. Really, really disappointing. <laughs> If there's one category that I really would love to see at least nominated for, I think cinematography might be it <laughs> because uh, I just, the movie's just so beautiful. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's amazing. I, I don't know how it didn't get visual effects uh, 
crazy. Uh, I don't know how it isn't getting more awards love in general, but um, yeah, yeah it is I 824 agree. too. Like you'd think they would compel. I don't know. Frustrating. Definitely frustrating. All right, so why these are now the the big categories here. Best original screenplay. Uh, I mean, it seems like PTA is a lock for this, right? As well as Belfast and King Richard. Those mm-hmm. feel like the top three. And then from there, I think the last two spots are kind of up in the air. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Belfast, Licorice Pizza. Belfast, like, you know, autobiographical kind of brand, Licorice Pizza. Paul Thomas Anderson, original creation. You understand why those are nominated probably towards the top of this category. After that, though, you know, I'm not really sure. I feel like it's just going to end up trending towards movies that have uh, history with voters, with awards, namely Don't Look Up because of Adam McKay's previous success and being the Ricardos because of Aaron Sorkin's previous success. I don't necessarily love either of those screenplays, but you can kind of just like do the math and make it make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, totally. Uh, I, I think Don't Look Up probably is a good shot. Sorkin, maybe. I don't know. Don't really love either one of those nominations. I feel like I'd love to see something like Pig really get a. Definitely. That's the people's champ for this year in this category. The way like yeah. Ex Machina got a screenplay nom back in the day. Like, it's really great when you see something that you know isn't going to win anything else get that screenplay acknowledgement because that's kind of like the ceiling for a movie like that at, at the yeah. awards. Yeah, Pig would be awesome here. Yeah, I, I think the smart money is on Don't Look Up and Ricardo's uh, filling out that five, but would love to see Pig sneak in there. Um, all right, so now on to uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, and this feels a little bit more stacked. Um, Definitely. Power of the Dog. I think is going to get nominated for everything. Let's just go to say that mm-hmm. uh, pretty much every major category that you would think it would get nominated, it will get nominated in. Then from there, I think, I mean, West Side Story sticks mm-hmm. out as a, a one that will probably get in there. Yeah. Um, the Lost Daughter has won a lot of awards at film festivals for its screenplay. So yeah. it feels like a strong bet too. So then what, what rounds out those other two spots? Tough one. Dune, obviously, much bandied about as being a successful adaptation, uh, which was kind of the whole question of if Dune would work or not. So I would love that kind of acknowledgement, but I won't like cry too much if it doesn't get it because <laughs> Dune's going to do well otherwise. So I, I won't yeah. make too big of a fuss. Uh, Coda could be here. It really depends how big the Coda moment ends up being. Coda is definitely rising in this for Apple's first, you know, real big. Uh, awards film contender obviously they've been making big ground tv so wouldn't be shocked about that one but i think there's just a lot of stuff in the mix that's pretty interesting right drive my car probably would pick against it but it's a incredible screenplay and would be an awesome acknowledgement if it got this tragedy of Macbeth, you know famously an adaptation so it's right there uh passing Tick, tick, boom. Another film that seems to be rising up the awards ranks. So this is probably one that's going to be hard to get 100% right predicting. And I would definitely root for like something a little less less remarked upon, like passing or something sneaking in here. But this one's definitely hard to predict. You know, I think the I would love to see do not get included in this. I think it's a great adaptation, but I would like to see some other films get uh, included. However, to give a little bit of a spoiler for when we get the best picture, if Dune's going to have a shot of winning best picture, it needs to be nominated. 
things. So, and I would love Correct. to see Dune win Best Picture. Um, we'll we'll talk more about that in a second. So we'll keep your eye on this category, especially as you're trying to think of oh, well, what's going to uh, make its way to the top of the Best Picture standings. Um, all right. So moving on from there, now we're moving into the acting categories. We'll start with Best Supporting Actor. Um, hmm. To me, again, feels like there's a strong three and then a couple that could fill out those final two spots. And those three would be Cody Smith McPhee, yep. he's a lock. Uh, Troy Kotzer, Coda, a lock. Yep. Kieran Hines from Belfast feels like a lock. Yeah. From there, I mean, Mike Feist from West Side Story would love I'd that. I'd like to see that. Don't know about it if it happens, Man. but I'd root for it. Leto, are we really going to get the Leto nom for this? <laughs> So House of Gucci <laughs> missed on the Producers Guild nomination, which is bad news for its best picture chances. Seems like Gaga still saves spoilers for what's to come. But Leto, yeah, Leto might be fading here. You know, it's it's absolutely a love it or hate it camp performance. You know, he kind of had a similar run last year where he got some early like globe and sag love for the little things and then it stopped there. So it wouldn't be shocked if he fades out here. But the thing is, it's like, who replaces him, right? seems like Bradley Cooper's fastly rising with Licorice Pizza. It's a good performance. It's a very small role, but it does seem like that's trending towards happening here. You said Mike Face. Plemons, again, if Power of the Dog has a monster day with nominations, I guess Plemons could get in here. It wouldn't be too shocking, but it's a pretty small role as well. And that leaves what Jamie Dornan and Belfast, which I'm not like super enthusiastic about, like of, of the four Belfast actors, I feel like Balf and Hines are more enthusiastic about. And then Ben Affleck, of course, who had a globe nom here for the tender bar. I feel like that's your group. It's, I don't know. Would you call this kind of a weak year for this category? Well, I, I think Smith McPhee's performance are really, really strong. So is Kotzer and Hines. Yeah. I think those three are strong. But then those last two spots really just feel like who deserves it the most. Cooper, I, I would be really just like taken aback to see because he, he doesn't feel he feels more like a guest performance almost rather than like yeah. a supporting performance for the film, which is not really how this works. Uh, face to me feels like the most deserving to get one of those spots. I don't know if he's the best money though. I think he's like probably like seventh or eighth in terms of actual. Yeah. Uh, seems odds. Like it. But man, I would love to see Affleck. I think at this, and I, I, I do think there's a little bit of an underlying story here that we haven't touched on, which is the Academy Awards just in general have had lower and lower viewership. And mm. so I think if, if the Academy is really kind of like, trying to make a push they would be smart to make a push for affleck and get some stars in this category because if you end up with smith mcphee kotzer heinz uh let's say faced and then jesse plemons that's a yeah that's five that people are gonna be like what are we doing here right you know that logic might be applied to the cooper nomination as well so right we'll see yeah so i think those three would be the strong bets and then i don't know it pick two of your favorites who, who do you want to put your money on there I think Cooper's in mm-hmm. and pick five. It's tough. I really don't have a good feel for this. You know, I, if Leto's out, I think maybe Dornan or Plemons get in. And I'm not I sure would, about Affleck or Faced as I much as hate, I'd want Faced. I'd hate Dornan to get in only because I would worry about 
him stealing votes from Hines. And I would I think it's really between Hines and uh yeah. McPhee for this category. I, as much as I love Kotzer, I, I couldn't see him taking it home, but we'll talk right. about the winners at a different time. Um okay. Best supporting actress. Thoughts on this category? Strong for you? I think stronger than supporting actor, but also um yeah, yeah, I think I think stronger because I feel like the the top five the, the nominations seem to be kind of locking in here. Ariane DeBose for West Side Story, Kirsten Dunst for Power of the Dog, Anjane Ellis for King Richard, Katriana Balf for Belfast. That, that four seem like really locked solid at this point. And then fifth spot, Ruth Neg has been rising quickly in other awards bodies for passing. Definitely the best performance in passing. So I feel like Ruth Nega kind of stole the spot that people were originally giving Judy Dench from Belfast. And I just can't see the Rita Moreno nomination happening. Yeah. I can't see Jesse Buckley and Lost Daughter happening. So I really don't know who is taking this spot from Ruth Nega. The, the odds would say that uh, Marley uh, Matlin from CODA would have mm-hmm. a shot. I, yeah. I can't see that, but if CODA really has a strong day when the nominations come out, I guess that would make sense. But I, I think those five you mentioned, uh, DeBose, Dunst, Ellis, Balfi, and Nega are the five. Lock that in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, any other thoughts on this category? No, that seems pretty straightforward. It's, it, I think that's definitely a stronger crop than supporting actor in terms of just like performances I, I like and, yeah. and enthusiastic about. So that's a good one. Best actor... Also feels like it's it's down to like six. There there's like one spot that's kind of wavering. This category right. again, I feel like is pretty top heavy. Like you got yeah. Will Smith, Cumberbatch, and Garfield. I would say, and 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 probably Washington. Mm. Those four are like the four that I feel really confident in. And then that fifth spot, it seems like it's between Dinklage for Cyrano or Bardem for being the Ricardos. Right. I haven't seen Cyrano. Hard to say. Uh, no one didn't, has. Doesn't come out till February twenty fifth. <laughs> didn't love the uh, the Bardem performance in being the Ricardos, although it, maybe he's the best part of the movie. So I don't know. Mm, yeah, didn't love the movie. Um, wh- wh- what would you say for that fifth spot? Yeah, and also I think Leo from Don't Look Up is ah. in the mix here. This is a tough one, you know. Uh, Nicholas Cage, obviously the people's champ for pig. I can't see it happening. Unfortunately, though, just given yeah. what's come previously. That'd be awesome though. And other stuff, you know, like Cooper and Nightmare Alley, Joaquin and come on, come on. Like there's a lot of other good performances that just didn't, didn't get through. So yeah, I feel like Dinklage is being really hurt by the lack of awareness with Cyrano. Obviously all the voters will have it available to them and critics have seen the film already, but it seems like Cyrano had aspirations of being, more than just the Dinklage Award movie. So don't know about that one. And Garfield, as you said, I think people were less confident about him getting in when Tick, Tick, Boom came out, but the movie has had a big rise in recent months at other awards parties. So I feel like Garfield is a good call, as is Denzel Washington. So that fifth spot, you know, I feel like it'll kind of be a little lame. Like Javier Bardem, amazing actor, but like, He's been rising with being the Ricardo, so it feels like he's gonna get this spot. And I, I don't like feel strongly enough about the Leo performance to be like too angry about it. I guess, but yeah, I, I would go with Bardem probably sneaking in here. 
I, I think that's probably the good money, but man, if, if they are going to like try to get some stars in here, which this category has some stars, Smith, Washington yeah. alone are <laughs> more, st- more also Garfield having a huge year. So right. But pretty good there, but Leo in, you know, just a couple I, I wish would be nominated, but aren't going to obviously make it cage. Um, you already mentioned Simon Rex for red rocket. I yes, feel like has a case for this. The Adam Sandler also, uncut gems performance of this year where it should be nominated but it won't exactly and then you got chalamet just kind of sitting there right. and it's like nice. man if dune really is going to have a night i would love for chalamet to just sneak in yeah, and get that if dune had an acting now that'd be wild <laughs> huge dude i mean I, I i would put money that after the next uh the second part that zendaya will probably be nominated but that'd be we'll cool. talk about that next year or when is that coming out two years i don't know uh 2023 yeah, two years. Anyways, best actress. I have no feel for this category. <laughs> Just gonna say, I mean, I, I kind of know who's at the top here. Um, I, I don't really feel like I, I know who's like the favorite because Coleman is is the odds-on favorite. Don't love mm. her. Don't don't love the movie. We talked about it. The Lost Daughter, well made. Maggie Gyllenhaal shouts to her. Coleman's great in the role didn't love the movie i think for me that kind of makes this hard to feel like ah this is the coleman win agreed and she's also won everything possible the past three years so yeah if she doesn't and, win now eh, you know right. it's all good <laughs> and so then you, kidman is in there probably for being the ricardos definitely wouldn't be most. shocked if she wins either yep. her second act oscar if she does and then we're really gonna get lady gaga for house of gucci i guess seems uh, like it Jessica Chastain for Eyes of Tammy Faye. Mm, sure. Perhaps. Kristen Stewart, Spencer, Princess Die. Yeah. Kristen, well, Kristen Stewart was considered the favorite for such a long time and then, like, very notably was not SAG nominated, not nominated by her fellow actors. So that kind of, like, threw people off the scent. I still, still think Kristen Stewart's in here, though. And I still think Gaga's in here, even if the Gucci Awards campaign has, you know, crumbled more or less. So that leaves that fifth spot, which has a lot of contenders. You mentioned Chastain. We also have Jennifer Hudson from Respect, Penelope Cruz from Parallel Mothers, Rachel Ziegler, West Side Story, Alana Heim from Licorice Pizza, and even Frances McDormand from Tragedy at Macbeth. I think we can write off McDormand, who, you know, a few months back, people probably would have thrown into this category, but she's kind of widely considered the like fourth or fifth best performance in the film. And given her recent success, she probably can quickly be scratched off. Same for Alana Heim, which you know I just don't think she's done just had 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 the award season thus far to like really break through here. So I don't know who who would you want here. Like I kind of would want Rachel Siegler to get it, but yes. I, I don't know if it's going to happen. Siegler would be my number one, and then I could see Hudson getting the nomination just for the role alone. And she had Andre Day, of- kind of a similar nomination last year for U.S. First Billy Holiday, where it's like really good performance, doing your own singing, even if the rest of the movie isn't super good. Jennifer I- I Hudson, think- of course, has won before as well. Right. And I think Alana Heim would be the other one I would want in here. I don't know. I didn't see Parallel Mothers, which is the blind spot. Cruise is really good in it, but I'm not sure if... It's tough for international performances to break through, given the track record thus far. So, who, who do you want? 
Yeah, I'd say Ziegler. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't be mad at Chastain, though. Chastain's a great actor and has kind of, like, I think, found herself more recently with Tim Fey and Scenes for Marriage. So I, I would like to see that recognition as well. Um, but yeah, I think Ziegler would be kind of cool as like a star making acknowledgement there. Yeah, she is. Uh, she is. She is having a, a a big future. You know, she'll be in a Shazam. She'll be in Snow White. You know, so she's not going away. We know that. Absolutely. All right. So now we're on to the the last two here. Yeah. Best director. Um, all right. So Jane Campion feels like not only a lock to be nominated, but I mean, she's gonna win. Like this. Yep. No problem there. It. Then he is also going to be nominated for Dune. Yes, his first time. Very exciting. Crazy that this is going to be his first time. How is that possible? Yeah, um, arguably had the best directing career of the 2010s, mm-hmm. and now he's finally going to get that that nom. Love to see it. Spielberg feels like a lock. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's he hasn't been nominated as much as you'd expect of late of the past 10 plus years you know but he definitely earned it with west side of the story his direction is arguably the best thing about the movie so yeah. uh yeah i'd lock that into in these final two spots pta kenneth kenneth branagh hamaguchi yeah. would be yeah. the outsider that i would love to crack the top five especially in place of someone like branagh who really liked belfast top 10 for me but i don't know if if i would uh, mm-hmm. say it's nomination worthy. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal also feels like she has an outside mm-hmm. shot at this. First um, time. I don't know. Anyone else here that you think could crack that top five? Yeah, I'd say in the mix, Adam McKay, previous right. nominee, Guillermo del Toro, previous winner, Joel Cohen, same thing. They're there, but I think they're out. Uh, I think PTA's in. Uh, oh, I think Wes Anderson's probably out too for French Dispatch. I think PTA's in. I think Spielberg's in. The last spot, I think it's really down to Brenna versus Hamaguchi. And I'm going to go with Hamaguchi solely based off the track record we've seen recently. The past three years, you had Paolo Palakowski nominated for Cold War, Bong Joon-ho nominated and winning for Parasite, and Thomas Vinterberg winning or nominated for another round. Why wouldn't Risuke Hamaguchi be nominated for Drive My Car? It's kind of the same thought. The director's branch is very international. Um, I, I don't don't kind of see why you'd pick it, especially with Belfast kind of not quite cleaning up in the lead up to Oscars where people expect it. It'll still be there in Best Picture. It'll still be there in other categories where I acknowledge, but I would not be shocked to see Brenna himself miss out on this. Yes, it's the autobiographical story, but it's probably the least impressive directorial effort of this whole crop. So I'm going to go with Hamaguchi. I hope you're right. Uh, I, I think he is probably more deserving. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I would probably say the the field is the the five that we just talked about plus Jill and Hall. Oh, the six we just talked about plus Jill and Hall is a potential outsider as well. Mm-hmm. Looking in, and now we're on to best picture. All right, let's let's name the locks, and then we'll talk about yeah. the other ones that could potentially get in here. So, Power of the Dog, it's a lock, favorite to win. West Side Story, lock. I think yep. Belfast is a lock. Yep. Dune is a lock. Yep. Is is King Richard really a lock? I think that's kind of crazy. I think it is. I think wow. it is. But Maybe. probably we probably should uh, tier it further. 
the four right. you just mentioned, Dog, Belfast, Dune, West Side Story, definitely locks. From there, I think there's another group. King Richard, Coda, Licorice Pizza. Don't look up in that category. Don't look up, probably. Right. And that leaves us with, what, two more spots? Because this is the first year. It's 10 mandatory, not 8 to 10 for Best Picture. So it has to be 10, which I do like it. I love that they're doing this. I like that, too. So you have to pick two more. Everything we said is in. That's eight so far. So then the, the I think it's between five. I would say there's five that have a shot. Mm-hmm. Tick, tick, boom. Mm-hmm. The tragedy of Macbeth, being the Ricardos, and drive my car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that only four? To, I only need four. Sorry. I wouldn't That's put Nightmare four. Alley in there. I don't no, think Lost Daughter has a shot. Nightmare Alley, no. House of Gucci, no. Given, you know, no PGA love. Also, Spider-Man, No Way Home. Did not get a Producers Guild Award nomination, you know, movies in the past like like knives out uh have been nominated for the pgas which kind of lean more populous more popluster so i think that's a bad sign for spidey trying to get in here so i would cross that one off french dispatch see or no other stuff like that cross those off um lost daughter yeah i think there's an outside chance for the lost daughter i mean if you think maggie gyllenhaal is is in the mix for director then the movie's probably in the mix for picture yeah, drive my car. I'd probably say the ceiling for this at the awards is Hamaguchi at director. I don't think it's going to get into best picture. So that kind of leaves Ricardo's Tick Tick Boom, Macbeth, and perhaps Lost Daughter. I think Tick Tick Boom's in. I think it's kind of been in of the past few, after the past few weeks. So that leaves one more. I I would probably say Lost Daughter. I yeah. I think uh, I I think they're going to want to give Gyllenhaal's a celebration. Um, I think there's been a lot of uh, narrative in the past couple of years and criticism, rightfully so, of the lack of diversity, um, not only in terms of race, but also gender in yep. these categories. And I could see them wanting to get Campion and Gyllenhaal a nomination here. So I would say yeah. I think those two make sense. Yep. That'd be, I mean, Ricardo's not getting nominated for Best Picture would be nice. It's going to get <laughs> some representation already, probably screenplay yeah. and acting, as we said. So, you know, I, I don't think we need to put it in picture. I don't know if we need another uh, Macbeth to get a Best Picture nomination either. I'm good. No. Uh, yeah, it's really, I think that exactly that. The Shakespeare adaptation probably can't be in the mix when we already are including a West Side Story remake. You know, right. the, you only can acknowledge so much uh, uh, iteration, I guess. For sure. Uh, well, that that does it for us. I guess the last prediction I wanted to ask you, Dave, who do you think will be hosting? It's a great question. It seems like, per the reports, that multiple hosts are in the mix here. Honestly, I would love them to do the Tom Holland Zendaya thing. Do it. That would be awesome. Do it. I think they're at least looking into it legitimately. But, you know, I think The Rock is a safe choice as well. He should do it one day. You know, he, he would be good good enough or at, at the very least. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, I like that they're going to do a host, though, and like bring yeah. a host back. Uh, that, that, that's positive to me. I, so, I totally agree. Um, I don't have a feel on, like, I don't think anyone really knows who's who's really contending for this yet. But we know who we would enjoy seeing. I think it, I think it will end up being Holland and Zendaya, especially because they really need to 
get viewership up. And the only way you're going to get any young people to tune in is you got to have a young star. Yeah. So anyways, that's going to do it for us this week. Dave, what's going on for next week? Yeah. So next week, there's actually a lot of stuff. Uh, cool. I think a core of five things music wise, new Mitski album, Laurel yeah. Hill coming out. Uh, Saba Chicago rapper releasing a new record, black country, new road releasing a new album. Their last featuring one of their uh, band member frontmen who's has just left the band. So that'll be interesting to discuss. And then I think two notable films, you have uh, uh, Emmerich's Moonfall, which uh, looks kind of wild. And I, I always respect Roland Emmerich as someone who kind of makes independent movies at huge scales. So I'll be checking that out. And also Jackass Forever, Johnny Knoxville <laughs> back again. Now it's Jackass and they're all old. I fucking love it. Let's go. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking about all that and more. YouTube.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Uh, go to Nostalgia on Spotify and give us a five-star rating. And also look for our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist and follow all the music on there. We might add a Kyle song. Mm. Um, and just like Kyle, this podcast, it's not so bad, right? <laughs> right? I don't know. Anyways, uh, catch you next week. Peace out. Yeah.